Heavenly Father, your Son spoke about things on earth that were real and true. He confronted us with our situation, but more importantly, Father, he becomes our eternal situation by taking us with him in baptism into death and resurrection. Father, please, by your Spirit and by your Word, speak the truth of the Gospel Take away, Father, the prosperity heart that so beats against our chest in this world and have mercy on the way in which we receive your word and the way in which we interpret suffering. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as a preacher, these are the kind of texts that you run away from. You don't run to them. But when they're given to you, you have to take them And you have to really work them through as faithfully as you can and say, well, if it was good enough for Jesus' audience, it's good enough for you guys. It's good enough for me. But you'll see on the screen there, the title is The Rich Man and Lazarus and then in brackets I've got Godly Contentment is of Great Gain. I want to ask this question not for an answer just yet, Does your contentment in this life depend on your circumstances, on your health, on your prosperity or on something else? Where do you derive your comfort and your contentment from and what does that mean for us as Christians? Now, preaching this to a a wealthy country like Australia really is hard work. Hard work for me, I kind of feel like a semi-hypocrite up here. Because when I read about the fact if we just have food and clothing, then we will be content, then my own heart is exposed by God's Word. But thank God we don't have to live that way anymore. Or maybe we have to be forced to live that way. I don't know. But there certainly is a problem in Australian Christianity there's certainly a problem in the West where there is now even a prosperity gospel that gets preached week to week to justify our wealth, our spending and our desire for comfort. This story blows that away and I don't know how you can have a prosperity gospel when you've got a guy called Lazarus whose situation as a poor crippled beggar never changes. The first thing I want you to realise is this man's situation on earth never changes. It doesn't get any better. Healing doesn't come to him. He doesn't have the power to speak words of life into himself. And he never complains. Jesus never, ever says he complains. The second character is a rich man, which we'll look at in a minute. But just for your own understanding, the word Lazarus, is the word for God is my helper and out of the two main characters in the story, the rich man never has a name, which is really important. He's never given a name by Jesus. He's not remembered in heaven where Lazarus is given a name. He's given an eternal identity and we're going to see what that means. But Jesus is speaking to a special audience called the Pharisees. And they've ridiculed Jesus' teaching on money and status and wealth. I mean, what would Jesus know about money? 
mean, the church wouldn't go and ask Jesus to help them financially because what would he know? Go to a financial advisor. Surely you don't come under Jesus' teaching about money because he's just outdated, right? That's what the Pharisees thought. They ridiculed him. They laughed at him. The Pharisees believed that their so-called obedience, their faithfulness meant that in being obedient to God, God would bless them material, materially. Obviously, if you do God a favour, he will he'll repay you. He's my mate. I'll do him some good. He'll do me some good. And if he doesn't, I'm going to be pretty angry with him. None of us have that in our hearts, do we? Obviously, obviously poverty and a lack of health would signify God's curse. Obviously. Obviously prosperity, health, wealth signifies God's blessing. Well, Jesus says, things become obvious when you die. Things become really obvious when you can't take your possessions with you or your health. Jesus starts to speak about eternal realities here and he cuts to what is seemingly obvious to show us what is really true. So would you like Jesus to be your pastor? Well, he is. He's your pastor. What can we learn about the rich man? Well, to be clothed in purple and fine linen was a sign of great wealth but also to dress this way, he didn't have to dress this way, he chose to, was a sign of significant status and standing in the world. Purple even, even signified royalty. This man dressed in the wealthiest clothes to actually show himself to be a somebody in the world. To feast extravagantly every day and not just on occasions was actually really unusual. So Jesus talks about feasts all the time, but feasts always come at Christmas or Easter or birthdays or baptisms. On a special occasion, we'll have a feast. This man had a luxurious feast every day. And he had Lazarus at his gate every day and Lazarus could not even get the crumbs off this man's table. In fact, the dogs licked his wounds. Let's stop for a minute. Who do you want to be in the story? Do you want to be crippled Lazarus, having your wounds licked by a dog, or do you want to be rich and extravagant, feasting every day? Well, by nature of the case, none of us wants to be in Lazarus' situation. But think about Jesus' teaching for a moment. He's turning everything upside down. He's got an upside down kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 27 to 29, it says, God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You're looking at a foolish man whom God has chosen. God chooses what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in the world. 
things that are insignificant to bring to nothing things that seem important. And you and I, brothers and sisters, want to be somebody's so much that we struggle with the Gospel. Every one of us wants to be known, wants to be somebody. How do we overcome that strong desire to be a somebody in the world? How do you overcome the fact that you might have a lowly position for the rest of your life? You may never get the dream job. Sorry, you young guys, you may never get your dream job. Realistically, it very rarely happens. Is that going to determine your joy and contentment? And even when you get your dream job, it's met with thorns and thistles and sweat. Jesus is saying true true significance and the reality of things of God are actually seen at the point of death. The poor man dies and he's carried by angels to Abraham's side, which literally means to feast in heaven to be at table with God. The rich man also dies and he is buried with no name and he goes into what is called hell, being in torment. The rich man lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side and he sees Lazarus feasting in luxury at Abraham's table. The tables, so to speak, have been overturned. He calls out to Abraham, his father, and says, have mercy on me and listen to these words. Listen to the way in which he views Lazarus even in the place of torment. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. How does he see Lazarus? As his servant. Nothing's changed this man's heart. He's in hell and he still sees Lazarus as inferior to himself. Abraham says, sorry mate, you had your good things. Lazarus had his bad things. Besides this, there's a great gap between us that can't be crossed. The only time the rich man has a change of heart is when he realises his permanent condition and then he only seeks for his family to be saved. And even then, his attitude is arrogant because he says, send Lazarus again to rise from the dead to go and tell my brothers that there is a place called hell. Now, you might think that that's kind of him changing his heart. What he's saying is this, God, you do it my way. Even in torment, he's saying, God, do it my way. All through his life, he did it his way, his way, his way. Even there in torment, he's saying, God, send somebody, use this man. At every point, this rich man sees everybody else as a means of him gaining something in life, even in death. He hasn't listened to the law or the prophets. And Abraham says, if you had to believe Moses and the prophets, then you wouldn't be here. Because you would have known there was a Messiah coming. See, if you follow the attitude of this rich man's heart all the way through, he never once is identifying himself with God's word. 
It's great to be a Christian, but I don't need, I really don't need God's word. You know what you say when you say that? You say, I have wisdom and I can get by. I don't really need God's word. I don't need to be identified with the scriptures because I'm pretty good. I can do it. His earthly riches meant nothing. His earthly status meant nothing. He actually died without a name. How important is your name? Can you handle it when your name is actually spoken badly about? Can you handle it when people speak poorly of you and mistreat you? I bet you when you have somebody speak poorly against you and mistreat you, who here doesn't just rise up a little bit? Who here doesn't rise up and say, I'm going to defend my name? Your name and your identity is so very important to you that you probably spend, like me, a fair bit of time thinking about yourself. And then you come to other people, like a church situation, and you pretend that you don't think about yourself very much and you try to act all humble and pious. But we are thinking about ourselves a fair bit, aren't we? You can't actually get away from yourself. Have you ever noticed that? We're about to go on holidays, thank God, because when you preach a sermon like this, you need to go on holidays. You've got to get out of here quickly. But even when I go on holidays, there's one problem that goes with me. And it isn't, it isn't my congregation here. Do you know the problem that goes with me? It's me. I'm a part of the problem. Lazarus had nothing in this world, not even the crumbs that came from the table. He had a few dogs as his friends and they were mangy dogs back in those days. They weren't like my beautiful dog. But he had a name. He had a name. And God knew his name. He had an identity. He was a person and God's eyes were on him and God saw him and he went to be with the Father in glory. And eternal life is a really long time. It never ends. Eternal life is a very long time. And yet we can't get past this world. We are saturated with living for this world. I am a part of that. Lazarus went beyond physical death. He went beyond the experience of sickness. He went beyond the experience of death. He went beyond the experience of sin. He went beyond the experience of hell. He went to be in paradise. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear something very significant here. The rich man died with no name. He was buried 
Hear the word. He died and he was buried. He went to Hades. We also have died. We also have been buried. You know what I mean, don't you? If you don't know what I mean, you haven't understood baptism. Brothers and sisters, we have died. We have been buried, but we have died and been buried with Christ, the anointed King. We have been raised with Christ in baptism and I know this is going to sound funny, but we are also seated with Him already in the heavenly places. You are seated with Christ on His throne. He gives you a share of His throne. Your name in baptism with Christ and your identity in Christ is now on a throne. Feasting at the Father's side. As far as a Christian is concerned, you cannot be in a higher position in heaven and earth than what you are now at the Father's right hand on Christ's throne. Now, you probably don't feel like you're on his throne, do you? I didn't say, do you feel like you're there? As far as status is concerned, the Christian doesn't have to strive for the purple robes. We don't have to strive to make a name in this world and be somebody. In fact, to be baptised into Christ is to have his robe of holy, splendorous righteousness wrapped around us. In fact, we can be regarded as the scum of the world the refuse of all things. Now, if you know your Bible, do you know who's saying that? The Apostle Paul says he was regarded as the scum of the world. As a Christian, we can be viewed as nothing in this world. We can actually have people torment us and persecute us, throw us in jail, burn us at the stake, which did happen, suffer as somebody who's poor, And we can be content. Am I speaking heresy here? Last night I opened up the book of martyrs. First century martyrs. There's a guy called Polycarp. I nearly got it wrong, didn't I, Adam? Um, (laughs) He had a vision that he was going to be burned at the stake. He knew it was coming. At that period, to be burned at the stake was an honour. As he proceeds in to be, to be trialled, they said, we'll throw you to the wild beasts. And he said, so be it. Wild beasts. I'll be, with, I'll be with Christ in a moment. They said, all right, we'll burn you alive. And he said, so be it. I'll be with Christ in a moment. So they burned him. And as they burned him, rather than the rather than seeing his body perish, gold and silver was coming out of the fire. Literally gold and silver. And rather than the smell of flesh burning, there was a sweet aroma. So they said, we better stop this fire. 
we better kill him. So they put a, a, a sword into him and all the blood came out and put out the fire. True story. And there were others that went along and as they were being martyred, they, they shone, their faces shone. Brothers and sisters, we are a long way from that. We have trouble if we miss a meal. We have trouble if we don't have a new pair of shoes. We have trouble if our haircut's not right. There is a contentment that we can have in Christ that does not depend on our situation. As far as wealth is concerned, the Christian is endowed with all the riches of God in Jesus Christ and this means we can be mistreated like Lazarus. Do you know that you are actually able to now be mistreated? You're actually able to be a nobody in this world because you're a somebody in Christ. And we can have a a godliness and a contentment which is of great gain than all the treasures of Egypt. Richard Wormbrand, who knows him here? Yeah, Lutheran, evangelical Lutheran pastor. He was arrested with his wife in 1948 by the communists. When the communists seized their land, Richard served 14 years in red prisons. 14 years. Long time? Three years in solitary confinement in a subterranean cell, never seeing the sun, the stars or the flowers. He saw no one but his guards and his torturers. He was so severely beaten the persecutors tried to beat the name out of the name of Christ out of him. Could they? They could not beat the name of Christ out of him. Why? Because he was baptized into Christ. Christ was the man he stood in. Christ was in him, and Christ was of so greater wealth than all the comforts of the world, that he was willing to be persecuted, beaten and tortured for Christ. Christ was way beyond anything else. See, there's a deep prosperity gospel that would actually tackle this story and maybe we'd tidy up Lazarus at the end of it and say, well, something else happened. Sorry, but he suffered all the way through his life and things didn't get better for him. Jesus says he never complains once. Paul says these words in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through. Finish it off. It's not put me in the right situation and then I can do all things through. No. 
Your situation is Christ. He is your real, true situation. Brothers and sisters, may you know the contentment of godliness in Christ Jesus that is of great and immeasurable gain beyond this world. Amen.